In Canada, one woman is killed in a violent act every other day. The spike in domestic violence that began during the pandemic is still on the rise. Numbers in Canada have leapt by 27 percent since 2019, and in Israel, the situation is just as critical, with 16 Israeli women already murdered this year. True to its mission, CHW is stepping up to support emergency services in Canada and Israel at this critical time. Help CHW empower victims of domestic violence by supporting the 27-hour SOS crowdfunding campaign. From August 22nd to 23rd, every dollar will be quadrupled when you donate online at chwsos.ca. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Mentors, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. I'm Jamie, I'm here with my co-host Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? Um, I'm doing so well, I'm bursting at the seams with an announcement we have to make. Yeah, we have a very exciting announcement, which is that we have a live event coming up. We teased this at the last episode, but we have a live event coming up on September 12th, Mentorers, 2023. The Mentorers are moving from in your ears to in your face. Yeah, if you're in the Toronto area uh, or you want to go for a little road trip and come in, uh, we really, really would love you to join us for a live podcast taping and event. We are going to be joined by the legendary Canadian Jewish broadcaster, Michael Landsberg, uh, host for many, many years of Off the Record on TSN, uh, Sports Desk, uh, radio was, radio shows as well. I was wondering if you were going to bring back Sports Desk, if you were going to say Sports Center or Sports Desk. Oh, I'm excited to like chop it up with michael about uh sports desk yeah uh, that was like some of my earliest sports memories ask so, him if jim van uh, horn's mustache is real <laughs> um so i'm really excited to, to talk to him you know he's been a huge mental health advocate the last few years that's that's been a big focus of what he's been doing uh very open and upfront person uh in lots of different ways so really excited for that don't want to talk too much about that but please 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 come to the event if you're in the area and you're interested the details should all be in the show notes so check that out and uh, and and please join us. Uh, we're looking forward to see you next month. Um, before that, this episode we have a, is a very exciting guest as well. It's um, really exciting. It's FIBA season, baby. Yeah, it's FIBA season, international basketball, and we were joined by NBA uh, uh, guru, uh, insider, player development guy, basket, um, basket blogger, and coach, the David Jewish Thorpedo. Yeah, that's right, David Thorpe, Jew- uh, who, who was kind enough to join us and was a great guest. Talk about Israeli basketball, some of the Jewish basketball players he's coached over the years. Um, had had all sorts of stories. He actually, you know, published a really fascinating article today um, on Troop. If you're a subscriber or if you've seen it, um, sort of about how you know basketball athleticism and guys who traditionally can play all five positions at once, you know, your freak athletes, as it were, aren't necessarily the best shooters in the world. So that's the kind of stuff he follows and the kind of stuff he writes about and podcasts about. He's the host of True Hoop Podcast. Um, so he's an experienced podcaster as well as coach. So he was a, a, a great guest. You know, I, I, I'm going to say this sort of with reference to our producer, Michael, but there's two sort of stratus, str- there, there's two kinds of guests we get while hosting a podcast. Oh. And there's those who have audio issues and those who have absolutely know exactly what they're doing all of the time. <laughs> and you know, with all due respect to Mr. Thorpe, he was definitely in the second category. 
Um, you know, he had his mic setting set. He had his headphones in. Right. Like he knew he knew what was going on. It, he, it, he it's always nice to have, to have a real pro podcaster. And I, and I, I don't say a fellow pro podcaster because we uh, remain somewhat amateurish in this, I would say. Uh, as I'm as I'm ho- lying on my couch holding a microphone up at, at this moment, I know this is you're a in the Costanza video. pose. Yeah, that's that's right. I'm, I'm reclined. Um, but no, it, it was really great to be joined by David. I think it's a really fun interview. Um, it is it is FIBA season. Uh, it is FIBA season. Is there any? There, there's we as we talked about with, with David. The team Israel isn't involved. Team Israel did have a lot of success at the at the under twenty European Championship, uh, mm-hmm. but didn't qualify for FIBA. I think they're lost to bosnia like they, they during qualifications like they they were up against some balkan teams and had a tough go but uh, uh you know the jews so they, had a tough time in the balkans it's a story as old as time 2500 year story yeah um any any jewish connection on the on the fiba um, tournament the best we could go up with is an extremely tenuous one okay through what seems to be strictly a religious situation practicing muslim ronde hollis jefferson is playing for jordan Okay. Now, one thing, the, the one Jewish connection Rondé Hollis-Jefferson has is that according to our producer Alex Rose, uh, former producer Alex Rose, dug a piece of research that Rondé, while he was a student at the University of Arizona, was briefly a member of the AEPI Jewish fraternity. Oh, wow. Um, so whether or not Rondé was ever a practicing Jew, uh, he certainly like has no. a lot of Jewish uh, Greek friends. Right. <laughs> Jewish Greek uh <laughs> Not Balkan Greek, but but uh, fraternity life Greek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sort of uh, Greek friends um, and is now, you know, just dropping buckets for Team Jordan. Yeah, that's nice. It is a, new, uh, it's, a it's freshly cool see... minted Jordanian Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Yeah, it's cool to see yeah. FIBA starting to have some of the uh, like, you know, WBC like shenanigans of people like, oh, yeah, like I have a great grandparent or something like that. Some tangential connection to a country. So like I'm going to go play there, uh, play for that team internationally. I think it's great. That's uh, it's 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 good for the international game when that happens. I think I think that's a lot of fun. So uh, that's fun. I, I've certainly been uh, enjoying watching clips. You know, all the games are happening in the uh, the the southeastern Asian archipelagos of Indonesia and, Phil- and the Philippines <laughs> right now. So I haven't haven't really been getting up to watch the games. I would say like just because the time difference or them taking place during work. But uh, it's fun. This it's is, fun stuff. This is oh, like I hope to see Israel in there next time. Yeah, this is an interesting uh, geopolitical and. I guess sociological question is like I would assume this is the case, but Indonesia, less so the Philippines. Philippines is a very Catholic country, but Indonesia is a, I believe, the largest Muslim country in the world. Yeah, um, it or Bangladesh or, or Pakistan. Uh, India, I think, probably has the largest population of Muslims, but maybe not. Maybe, but, maybe you know, I think Indonesia. I think Indonesia is something like ninety-five, ninety-six percent Muslim. So, like, yeah, when a team like Jordan shows up and plays, or Algeria shows up and plays like do they have a lot of indonesian fans that are just there there for you know dar es salaam good question we, we really need to do some uh some interfaith dialogue with a muslim sports podcast to answer some of these questions and any questions yeah. they might have about uh jewish teams. i know that you know it would have been interesting had israel qualified because indonesia of course uh not that long ago canceled hosting the youth world cup which israel did qualify and and had incredible success at uh, and had to be moved to uh, Argentina, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if they would have canceled FIBA, or they would have just shifted the games to the Philippines, where I'm going to, I'm going, to, which would have had a warmer embrace for Israel for, I feel, for I feel any like, number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Mr. Duterte is like like the type of 
Catholic <laughs> conservative. He's no that... longer the he's no longer the president, my friend. Really, I didn't know that. I don't. I, I'm sorry, I don't keep up with <laughs> Philippine parliamentary politics like you do. Uh, yeah, I believe it is currently Noinoy Aquino, uh, but I'm not positive about that. <laughs> I'm sorry my, if the our, our executive producer Michael will, will, will have to fact check this. Um, anyways, the, exciting stuff for. for uh, uh, sorry, it is Ferdinand Bong Bong Marcos. Oh, it's Bong Bong currently... Marcos. I'm sorry. Yes. I, I had my um, wrong scion of uh, of a previous generation of Philippines. He is Ferdinand and Imelda's son. Yeah, that's right. Um, so okay, he, I I would also suggest that he might. Okay, let's assume I didn't mention Duterte, but we'll go back to, I would say, an equally prodigious liar in <laughs> Ferdinand uh, Marcos, and suggest that, um, the current president of the Philippines is probably. Uh, more on the fetishization side of Judaism in Israel as mm, opposed to the intercultural dialogue side of Judaism in Israel like the Argentines are. Boy, it is it is fun to 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 you know sort of see the path of our digressions sometimes on this podcast. Um let's 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 pivot back to our our bread and butter here. Uh it is the end of the golf season. I wanted to talk briefly about that. Uh, the oh, if, if, if your bread and butter is golf, we're on the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the, FedEx, the FedEx Cup just wrapped up. Uh, the I don't know how to describe it. Erstwhile, I guess is the right word. Uh, PGA playoff system that I would say has failed to failed to capture an audience. Is that you no? Know, I'm that a fan. I'm a fan of the. I'm, uh, I'm all for the weird rules. I'm a fan too, but like we're golf sickos. Like we're not like we're not we're not the people who need to be encouraged to watch golf. No, like the general and, audience is the it, and there's know, virtually tune no, in for the majors. There's no other sporting final in the world where like the team with the best record gets a game by. It gets an, a free game in the final se- series. Like it works in the FedEx Cup finals, right? The the guys, the highest ranking start with a couple of shot lead. Yeah. Um, and there's no other ga- sport where I think that's the case. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd system. Um, but anyways, with the end of the season and the upcoming Ryder Cup, I did want to talk about uh, the season that Jewish golfers have had in this, you know, the PGA Tour season's over. Uh, it runs like September to August, basically. So I want to talk about some Jewish golfers and the, and the season that, seasons that they've had. Uh, obviously, Max Homa is someone we've been talking about a lot for the last year. He had he had a very, very good year. He won the Fortinet back in September as one of the first tournaments, and he won the Farmers Insurance Open, a little bit of a bigger tournament in January. Um, since then, he's been a bit up and down. He, his, his record at the, at the majors was pretty, was pretty, uh, underwhelming, I would say. Um, he did have a top 10 at the, at the open championship, which was, which was exciting. I mean, I think that that was the only one where he was sort of like you know, close. He was, he was in contention here and there. Um, you know, at the players championship, he, he tied for six, which again, pretty solid, pretty solid run. And uh, in in the FedEx Cup standings at the end of the, at the end of the year, he he was in the you know he was in the top ten in the FedEx Cup the whole time, uh, you know, and had success, uh, you know, almost 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 a spectacular the, season, a spectacular yeah. season for him. The uh, what's it called? The BMW Championship. He came very close. He he had set the course record briefly, uh, and he's going to be on the Ryder Cup team, right? So that that's going to be his first uh, first time on the Ryder Cup team. It's I think amazing. That's pretty exciting. We- We've, I think we consider him the third Jew on the American Ryder Cup team after Corey Pavin many years ago and um, uh, Daniel Berger uh, in right. the previous Ryder Cup, in the 2020 Ryder Cup. So uh, and, and, and that's, big muzzle to Max for that. 
Absolutely. And that and that's one of the other guys I want to talk about because Daniel Berger wasn't present in the in the 2022-2023 PGA Tour season. You know, it's been basically a year and a half since he's played golf competitively. He's mm-hmm. been dealing with this back injury that's just, you know, taken him out. I mean, it's it, it's a long, it's been a very, very long injury. Uh, and, you know, this was coming off a couple of years from 2020 to twi- the end of 2021 season where he had, you know, two top tens at majors. Uh, he had a win at the Charles Schwab and the 18 in, in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which is, you know, one of the marquee tournaments in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're still just waiting. I mean, I, it, it's not like, you know, that there's been a lot of news about him. I assume he's just continuing to rehab and try to get back into, into playing. Yep, get that back working again. But it's just, it, it, it's, it's really unfortunate. You know, he was, he was someone who uh, was like just on the precipice of the top 10. You know, he was, he was right on the outside of that. I thought he was going to be competing in majors in a, in a, in a real way in 2022, uh, mm-hmm. 2023. Uh, and the injuries just totally sidelined him. And, and sad to see, but, you know, golf is one of those sports that I think because of how specific emotion it is, because of the, the unique muscles that you're using, you can really, you can, you can be waylaid by an injury in a way that's, um, I don't know, just devastating. So I, I feel like we're missing an opportunity here to have a doctor on the show talk about <laughs> all of the bizarre sports injury, injuries. Like there is, there isn't, there's a Jewish sports story in like the medicine. Mm-hmm. Just like we, we, we really need to get uh, some, some orthopedic surgeons on to tell yeah. us about, about what's going on. Exactly. Like if Dr. James Andrews was Jewish, we would have done a 10 episode series on him already. Oh, absolutely. Or uh, whoever invented the Tommy John surgery. Uh, Tommy John. If Tommy John was Jewish. If there, if there, Tommy if John was the Tommy, player, not the doctor. I, I know that. But if the Tommy John surgery was called like the Harold Goldblum procedure, right. we would be talking about it all, all times. Getting a Goldblum. <laughs> getting it all the time. Yeah. Uh, um, and and just, I wanted to shout out as well, uh, local local uh, golfer Ben Silverman from Thornhill uh, had a win on the Corn Ferry Tour. He won the hometown uh, he, lenders championship. He actually he didn't or, just sorry. win the corn ferry. Right, uh, he won on the, the Bahamas Great a, a Backo Classic. He didn't just win that tournament. He finished first on the points list for the yeah. corn ferry tour this year. Yeah, so he had um, a, he, had so a he great, won the tour. He won the tour, and that means that he's back to the PGA Tour next year. I, it's not it's not automatic if you win a tournament anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty no, sure you it, finish in the top thirty. Yeah, exactly. Um, you finish in the top ten, so or, or top thirty. So. We'll have to see how the uh, you know the the reunification of of world golf goes in terms of uh, knocking off some of the the guys lower down on the list, but mm-hmm. he should be back on the PGA Tour full time next year. Yes, um, and I misspoke. He was leading the season for a long time of the season. He finished in fourth on the tour, but he secured his tour card uh, okay. several months ago. Okay, um, and he'll be back on the PGA Tour for sure next year. Uh, well, that's great. Um, I, I just wanted to briefly talk about a few things in uh, golf's country club cousin tennis. Uh, it's Ooh. U.S. Open time right now. Uh, the the only real uh, Jew, in, Jew in the tournament this year was, or on the men's side at least, was Diego Schwartzman. Um, he was eliminated in the first round. It's been a tough year for Diego. Tough uh, year for Diego. Might he, be the end. It it might be the end. You know, tennis is such a short career that it's like it, it can always it can always be the end for for mm-hmm. tennis players. Uh, but you know, he went from you know reaching the semifinals of the French Open in 2020. Uh, you know, being in the top ten at the end of, at the end of that tennis year, to really just falling out. You know, he's he's barely uh, cracking the top one hundred right now. Like he had to qualify, I think, for the Grand Slams, uh, or at least for the U.S. Open this year. So, mm-hmm. I wish him well. I I think we'll have to see. You know, maybe there's something that can be corrected, or or there's an injury that needs fixing. But you know, Diego is, from all accounts, just a huge mensch. Uh, yeah. See a lot of videos of him. You know, contributing to Jewish communities when he's 
it, it, you know, somewhere, somewhere for a, a tournament. And I, I, I think that he will be a, a big part of tennis forever, like and Jewish tennis. Absolutely. Especially. Um, um, and Argentine tennis. You know, there, there's not a lot of, you know, Jewish players who played a long time at the ATP tour level. Not a lot of guys who are from Argentina who played as long as he did at the APT tour level. And not a lot of guys who are as small as he was. No. playing in the APT tour level. He sort of fought against the odds for a very long time. You know, as, as we've talked about on this podcast before, um, experienced a good amount of anti-Semitism in his life and, yep. you know, had to play all of his tennis growing up in Buenos Aires at a all-Jewish club as, you know, that exists out of necessity to the anti-Semitism of other tennis clubs yep. in the area during his lifetime. He's the descendant um, of survivors. You know, he's he's very committed to the Jewish community uh, and his um, Jewish identity. And, and we're very proud of him. We'd love to have him on the show if and when we ever do. Um, but he's, he's you know, we wish him all the best. Um, you know, if this is the end, he he did amazing. You know, as uh, as was said, I think, on Mad Men about the Jewish character, the the um, the secretary. Uh, she was born in a barn and died on the 75th floor of a skyscraper. She was an astronaut. And I think that's that's pretty true of Diego, too. All right. I like it. Um, also on the men's side, we should say Taylor Fritz has some Jewish ancestry. Doesn't identify, I think, uh, necessarily, but uh, he's made it onto the second round, I believe. And uh, on the women's side, Camila, Camila Giorgi, uh, the Italian tennis player, is, is knocked out in the first round by uh, billionaire heiress uh, uh, Jessica Pegula, uh, scion yeah. of the Buffalo Bills owners, and uh, recently Jewish. confirmed to have some uh, Jewish uh some Jewish background, Alina Svitolina, uh, is on to the second round. And she was actually seated. Uh, she's had a, you know, pretty decent comeback after uh, comebacks, maybe not the right word. She, she she was pregnant and she was out for a while because she was pregnant. Uh, but yeah, since she's returned comeback, to the tour, comeback she's from, from pretty talented. Solid. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we wish them well. I mean, we'll, we'll see how they do at the, at the, at the is US it, Open. I is did it pronounced Pegula. I thought Pegula? it was Pegula. Pegula. I don't know. Anyways, I did want to mention something, which is uh, an article I saw today in Forward, uh, written by Beth Harpaz, uh, which I didn't know this. I didn't know this history, and I feel ashamed for not knowing it. Uh, but Gabe, do you know what it's called when somebody... I, I knew this part. Do you know what it's called when somebody beats somebody 6 nothing in, in a tennis set? It's a bagel. It's a bagel. And I always just thought, like, okay, somebody came up with that bagel, you know, zero. Zero looks uh, like a bagel. Yeah. It turned out it was not just somebody. It was... Uh, the greatest Jewish tennis player of all time, Harold Solomon, who came up with this, or at least popularized it, according to this article in Forward. Um, he created the term bagel. Um, he was the person who was responsible for it. Him and his buddy, a friend of his who also uh, grew up in grew up in Miami, uh, named Bud Collins, talked about bageling a guy, and that became <laughs> a thing. That that bageling became a thing all because of him. So I think that's really impressive. I mean, I, Harold is someone we've talked about before. You know, he before our time, but he had an amazing career. He was top five tennis player. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, what really solid career uh, at majors and, and I think won 20, more than 20 titles. Uh, you know, as there's an idea player. here. Yeah. Of a, a tennis-themed bagel shop called Bageling. It's not bad. But what would you, how do you, so what are the tennis themes besides this? Are you making a tennis ball-shaped mound of cream cheese on a bagel? Yes, I think I think you serve the cream cheese in the shape of a tennis ball. Um, you know, the plates will have lines on it set before. And if you're sharing, a, if you get a dish shared for two of doubles, you know, the lines are further away. You don't, you can ignore the lines and put it anywhere on the plate. Okay. Um, 
you know, that's that's how you serve the cream cheese. That's the devils. Um, you know, the capers will be flicked at you sort of from a machine that you can knock them back sort of in a training situation. I think there's something here. Well, maybe this is the maybe this sh idea should be embraced by Flushing Meadows because there are some tournaments, tennis, golf that have like an iconic food, right? Wimbledon has strawberries and cream. Like that's that's sort of iconic. Thing. Yeah. You know, uh, the Masters, the Masters have the their pimento cheese, cheese sandwich. There's there's a few other ones I, I could probably we could probably think about. Now, the U.S. Open, as far as I know, does not have an iconic food, except, of course, for the hot fudge sundae that uh, George Costanza, <laughs> George Costanza. on camera eating. Somebody get that fudge. guy a napkin. Yeah, exactly. The, multi the, the shot of him with hot fudge all over his face. But aside from that, as far as I know, there's no uh, specific U.S. Open food. So incorporating the bagel, obviously a, a New York specialty. Like I'm, I'm going to guess that there's somewhere in Flushing Meadows you can probably get bagels like right now. Okay. I want to say something about the New York bagel. Can I okay. digress for a moment? Absolutely. Have you ever seen, I'm sure you've seen it. There's like, like a lot of, you know, it's an internet thing. It's videos, it's TikTok, it's, it's cooking shows, whatever. There, there's a big crusty New York bagel and, you know, you see a pair of hands, like grab it, rip it in half and the steam comes out of all of it. You know, the crust sure. is crackling. I've never seen anyone in real life rip a bagel like that, a bagel steam like that, or a bagel crack like that. Yeah. And I've eaten I, a lot of New York bagels in my life. I, I I agree because there's basically two ways to eat a bagel, like to get a bagel. One, you go to a bagel shop and they make you a bagel. Like they make you a sandwich. Case, the guy at the bagel shop is cutting the bagel in half for you. Yeah. Right. Or you buy a bulk bagels, like you buy a dozen bagels to go. At which point, there's no way you're getting them home and open, ripping them open and they're still steaming unless you have steamed them at home somehow. And looking for a maximum steam output. Look, Gabe, people are doing things on, on TikTok for the aesthetics. You know, it's not just for the benefit of, uh, of you know, it's not, it's not reality. Culture of the culture? Yeah, it's not reality. I would say the thing that bugs me the most is people uh, like doing bake, ba baking their own bagels at home. Uh, something which no Jewish person has ever told has me ever that done. they do. And never. And I have never seen a Jewish person make their own bagels. We make challah, we make yeah. ragalaf, sure. never a bagel. Yeah. So that's the thing. So it's sort of funny because for the amount of baking that Jews do uh, and home baking, like excellent home baking that, that lots of Jews do, no one has ever said to me like, yeah, the thing I also make at home is bagels. I guess I'm, I'm speaking from a place of privilege of having lived my whole life Pretty much in the shtetl, they're close, making bagels. Yeah, pretty close proximity to Jewish communities. Like, there are so many bagel shops in my neighborhood right now that uh, squirrels often leave them on my windowsill because they take them from the dumpster of the the bagel place uh, half a block away from wow, me. Wow, free bagels! Yeah, <laughs> they, somehow they they even the squirrels don't want them. Those are the day olds. Um, That's how many bagels there are. But no, but genuinely, I feel like I feel I can't explain it, but I feel like there's just something slightly, I don't want to say anti-Semitic, but just slightly, uh, just too, too Gentile for my comfort of videos of, of, uh, like food influencers baking bagels in a way that like, I've just genuinely never seen a Jewish person do or even want to do. And it's just like, look, if you, if you don't live close enough to a bagel shop, like you have to live with like, you know, frozen grocery store bagels. That's your, I, that's your plight would also agree and i also i would even go further than that and saying that you know the only people i know who are the most excited to like go out and get bagels as an activity are non-jews yeah. like bagels are just a constant they're just there like yeah obviously there are bagels it's not like oh right. let's go out and get some bagels this morning 
Yeah, and also like I would say most Jews I know also freeze bagels. Like you buy a lot yeah. of them and freeze them. Like that is very just, common. They're just the around. Idea. So again, like the idea of baking them as opposed to going into your stash of frozen bagels. Uh, that also, that you, you bought bizarre. like when you got a sandwich a month ago. Yeah. Anyways, um, that that the again a fun digression. Uh, if anyone if anyone at Flushing Meadows in the U.S. Open community is listening to this, think about the bagel. You know, there's early morning tennis. It's a good it's a good morning snack. Like make Ooh, bagels. It is a good morning snack. Make and bagels, we talked about non Jews love late night bagel snacks. So like that's, that's what you get. Yeah. Anyways, um, why don't we move on now to our interview with David Thorpe? David Hebrew School is now accepting new students. One of Toronto's most dynamic, egalitarian, conservative congregations is offering personalized Hebrew lessons, hands-on learning, exciting field trips, and small group activities, all with a hot dinner included. This is Jewish exploration that will last your children a lifetime. Classes run weekly on Monday nights from 5 to 7.15 p.m. starting September 18th. To learn more and enroll, visit BethDavid.com or email Adina, that's A-D-I-N-A, at BethDavid.com. We're here with David Thorpe, legendary basketball player, development guru, and coach. Welcome to the Mentormers, David. I mean, I'm excited to be on a show titled Mentormers. It's, uh, <laughs> I, get, I get invited to a lot of these. I can't do everything, but uh, there was no way I was saying no to a show so aptly titled. Thank you. That's, that's, we hear that a lot. I think that more than all of the professional athletes we've talked to, the executives, the journalists, the name is really what keeps the guests coming back. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest with you, I was, you know, I was raised by a Jewish mom and dad, and mensch was a word we heard, you know, 8,000 times growing up. And I didn't do that with my children. But just the other day, I posted something about my son who's graduated college. and. One of my mom's friends, I think, put on her post that he was a mensch. <laughs> so oh, he was actually on mine. Yeah. So it's appropriate. Yeah. Did he play any sports? Yeah, he plays. He's a senior at Florida State. He plays basketball okay. at Florida State. Well, yeah. There you go. So he is a mensch warmer. 100%. And he is. He doesn't play a lot at Florida State. He chose to go to a school that he wouldn't play as much, but he thought it would help him for his lifelong goal of running an NBA team. So he turned Absolutely. down opportunities to play at other places. Uh, and he feels like he made the right decision because he, I can already see his career moving into that direction when he's done playing. So he feels like he made a 40 year decision instead of a four year decision. So that was fine with me. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So David, talk to us a little bit about your career in basketball. How did you get started in the game, uh, and, and develop such a, you know, long and prolific career in the, in the, you know, talent development coaching world? Uh, what was your, what was your entree to basketball as a, when, when you were younger? Yeah, so I at, at eight years old, I started playing baseball at nine. So this was 1973, 1974. I started playing both. And then I played football as well. And uh, I was just really short for a long time. Um, and I, when I got to high school in ninth grade, my school had 4,000 kids. It was one of the biggest schools in the state sure. back then. And um, I kind of had to start specializing. In, and I felt like I was too small to play basketball. But uh, I made the team and I, and I grew probably – six inches over the next, you know, year and a half and got to six foot. And, uh, yeah, we, we was a very serious program. Uh, I did not have a great career. Our coach was kind of a jerk, unfortunately. Uh, he taught the game very well, but he, he managed it poorly. 
but still, I I definitely love the, the competitive aspect of it. I don't really, I really don't know what it, it did. I, I but people say I kind of was a coach on the floor, and my my own coach even told my dad at one point, uh, I, he he's a coach on the floor. And then I got my first job in coaching because my old high school coach told a friend of his who was looking for a JV coach, an assistant coach. Um, uh, and my old head coach said, you know, David was kind of a, a coach even when he played. So that's kind of how it started. So just to, some context here, we're talking to you now from, you're in the Tampa area? I live in Clearwater, yeah. So about 25 Clearwater. minutes from Tampa Airport, yeah. I have been, I've been to Clearwater. I've been to the beach. I've been to Blue Jays spring training all in the area. And then was this your childhood? Was it also in, in that West Florida area? Yeah, I, we grew up there. My dad was an attorney. He, he, we, he moved to a town called Seminole, which is about uh, 25, 30 minutes about southwest of Dunedin. My wife mm-hmm. works in Dunedin, right, right by the Jays facility. My, my uh, son was a very serious baseball player before he went full-time basketball like me. And he practiced a lot right next to the Blue Jays field. That's just that's like cool. 18 minutes. Both the Blue Jays and the Phillies have their spring training facilities 15 minutes or so from where we live. And we're about 15 minutes away from the beaches, which are some of the you know, most beautiful in the world. So you you went to basketball. You also went to Florida State? Um, no, I went to Florida. You went to Florida. Mine- I went to their rivals, but I don't tell my kids where they want to go to school. So when he, <laughs> when he said he wanted to play at Florida State, we visited them. He really loved the program, and uh, he could have gone to Florida. He could have gone to a lot of places and played. He he liked Florida State the best, and there was no way I was going to keep him from that. I lived my life to yes and live it. So, so, David, in your in your career, you've had some involvement with uh, a, a few different Israeli basketball players. Uh, yeah. can, can you talk to us a little bit about that, how those connections started, and uh, what sort of work you did with them? Yeah, more, more than a few. Uh, my, first, my first NBA player... Uh, was uh, Omri Caspi, the very first Israeli sure. drafted mm-hmm. uh, in the first round. I'm sorry. My first Israeli player was Yotam Halperin, who was drafted the second round years ago. Is he the original yeah. Jewish Jordan? No, that was Tamir. Tamir that was Tamir, Jewish. okay. Yeah. Who I know him very well, too. Uh, I, so Yotam never came, stayed in, it was a great player in Europe for a long time. Um, and then Omri uh, uh, came over, and I started helping him his rookie season. And, and mostly helped him like the last maybe six years of his career. And then he brought Gal Meckel into my life, Gal. Uh, I actually did his deal with Mark Cuban when he signed a three-year guaranteed deal with the Mavericks. I'm not an agent, I'm not an agent but his agent trusted me more to get the deal done because I dealt with mm-hmm. Cuban before. And I knew Gal so well. So I coached him his whole career. Uh, he just retired. This is the first year he's not playing. Right. And, um, and then because of those two, the very first two ever Israelis to make the NBA, I... Uh, Word got out that I was Jewish. Uh, my wife converted to Judaism. Our kids were raised Jewish, but they were both our bar mitzvah. We had a B'nai mitzvah for our twins. Mm-hmm. And in uh, fact, Gal gave an aliyah at their B'nai mitzvah, believe it or not, what? Um, in, in May of uh, 2014. And, um, and so word got out. And, oh, I think I've had 75% of the Israeli national team, senior national team players the last like five years in, in Clearwater. I mean, they've come here. A, a, a good percentage of their best players have literally been in Clearwater, have gone to Clearwater Beach, uh, have eaten bre- have eaten meals in Dunedin where the Blue Jays practice. <laughs> Israel. I just had a kid here. I call him. I call him the um, the Steph Curry of Europe. It's High Moskovitz. He is. He just signed a few weeks ago. Uh, he didn't sign with one of the bigger teams. 
on purpose. He's going to have a monstrous season. Uh, he's an unbelievable shooter. He's 23 years old. He was here a month. He just left uh, right before I had to go on vacation uh, out of the country. So he left right before that. Um, it's a terrific talent. So remember that name, Italian Moskovitz, really talented guy. So would it be fair to say that you sort of operate a, a Israeli basketball West on the East Coast of the United States? I do. Look, cut yeah. clear water, as it were. Yeah, right, right. Hop well, clear water. Um, yeah. Uh, no, you never, uh, never mention McCubby in this podcast again. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've been in Tel Aviv, and McCubby Tel Aviv hooked me up with a condo there for a couple of weeks, right by the Mediterranean Sea. Two of the best weeks of my life. I couldn't, my wife at the time was taking care of our kids. Um, I don't know what year it was, maybe 2017, 2016, but it was in, Spectacular. I'd never been to Israel before. Absolutely fell in love with it. Gal was my, I, I saw Omri most days, but he had his first baby born that same week. So I didn't see him as much as we were hoping, but I saw Gal every day at every meal with him. I uh, saw some of the sights in Tel Aviv. And, and then Doug Gottlieb was coaching the Maccabi USA team in the Maccabi games. And I was mentoring <laughs> Doug. Uh, and uh, so I came to go watch, Gal and I went to Jerusalem, met Tamir, and in one of the little gyms in Jerusalem to watch Doug beat France, who they ended up beating again for the gold medal. France was very good as well. Doug's team was very good also. So yeah, I've got a, I was a pretty strong connection to Israeli basketball. So the the uh, the senior team hasn't hasn't really uh, had a ton of success recently. I you know obviously didn't make it to the FIBA World Championships that's coming up soon. Um, but the the under twenty uh, team has had a lot of success. I mean, there's semifinals in the in the European Championship that just concluded. Um, you know, the finals last time around as well. Um, what sort of, what's on the, what do you see on the, uh, in terms of prospects or the precipice for Israeli basketball on a national level? Like, is it, is it going to get over that hump? You know, unfortunately, I feel like part of the difficulty is just who they're competing against is, you know, often these, you know, really skilled, uh, you know, former Yugoslavian countries and things like that, they're, that they're up against and, and have a hard time making it into, you know, cracking into the top, top 10 of Europe, for example, you know? Yeah. It's, um, I mean, uh, Danny Abia and Yam Madar were very, very, won a couple of championships at the junior level, like under 18 even, uh, world championships, like, I mean, uh, European championships. Um, it's just, just, I mean, you guys know, it's a small country. You do, mm-hmm. what, why is Team USA so dominant? <laughs> uh, we have a huge country. You know, I mean, if we had Florida as a country and Georgia as a country, we wouldn't win anything. We wouldn't win anything. Sure. Um, there is, there's no United States of Israel. There's just Israel. And, uh, uh, if we took all the Jews from around the world, that'd be a little different. We could have a team, I'm sure. Um, I don't know how good the prospects are. I have concerns about Israel, Israeli basketball. I don't like when they take Americans to play for them. I think that's a cheap way out. I just want them to invest in Israeli players. Uh-huh. And um, at some of the leagues, they, in their domestic league, the winner's league, I, I don't like that, that Americans be on the court as often as they can, especially when they play on the European side. Uh, the, the Israeli players are really good. We just got to develop them. Uh, continue to develop them. But uh, I think Gal, uh, Gal's getting involved with Apoel Jerusalem. I think that'll help. Uh, he's, if you guys don't know Gal Mechel, very brilliant person and uh, a great, great player for a long time. I think he can make an inroad. And Denny, certainly, if he has some success in Washington or whatever, that can help inspire some guys. Yamadar is very talented. Uh, hasn't really had a chance for the NBA yet. So, and I think they have some other good young players, not just already starring in Israel, but waiting in the wings. So there's a chance, but I, you know, we're not going to be Argentina or Spain anytime soon. Just pivoting a bit, David, I, I want to say yeah. you, you write and podcast for truehoop.com. 
uh, one of the sort of, you know, uh, basketball fans, uh, you know, favorite websites, kind of, I, I would say like a, a real Hoop Junkies website. And I wanted to say, because uh, we're both in Toronto, we're both big Raptors fans. Yeah. Your, your most recent tweet said, please don't assume headlines and tweets from others accurately define what's in an article. In no way did I place full blame on any one person or position in Toronto. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. Safe at oh, west. Now, I'm going to assume, because I know Raptors fans, and I know Raptors fans online, that this was probably in response to online Raptors fans giving you a hard time about something you said recently or just being a bit nuts. So the question I guess I have is, are, are Raptors fans, like, are they notorious as just being, you know, the most crazed, crazed hoop fans online or, or the most, uh, I don't know, irrational? Yeah, I, I, so they didn't really. I don't. Re, I don't check Twitter all that often. Um, uh, I, I don't That's think a smart decision. Yeah, I don't. I'm a busy man. I don't think they would come after me so much as as much as I had agents and friends sending me other people writing articles based on headlines, which which made made it sound like I said Masai Ujiri is the only reason why Toronto struggled for two years. And when I mentioned in this article that we're referencing. That Masai was not in LA during the Rico runs, and I was there. They they acted as if I was criticizing that. I was just making an observation. Toronto's there right now. The, I, a student that I'm helping is with them right now in LA. Masai's not there. It is not to be there. Right. I, I wasn't at all making it. So my only point was it's not the headline, and it's 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 not uh, what other people are headlining things either. Uh, the, the Raptors collapsed for a lot of reasons. Management is one of them, in my opinion. Uh, Nick Nurse, who I thought was going to be their coach like Pop, clearly I was way off by about 40 years. Yeah, uh, That didn't work out. They've got some problems. That's, say, that's all. In, in 2020, I think the entire city felt that way too. I mean, we were like, you know, he was coaching the national team. We were yep. ready to, you know, make him prime minister or something like that. I mean, he brought a championship yeah. to the city. He, I, I think he, I think he, you know, rightfully got a lot of credit for the championship. I think that was, that was on him great. in a huge way. Yeah, uh, they were, they were great, but you know, things happen and and so, yeah, I would just, t- Toronto is a mess. Uh, they can figure it out. Um, and uh, I, Darko looks like he's going to be a hell of a coach. I know the Memphis people are upset they lost him. So that's an encouraging thing. Um, right. uh, but I also mentioned in the article that the players that I spoke to over the years, they liked Nick. Like, they weren't mm-hmm. trashing Nick. Uh, and so it didn't work out. Let's see what happened. This is the league. It's the world's best league. And you got to keep working and getting better or you go backwards. And right now they're going backwards. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the league from your perspective. You've been involved with professional basketball for a long time. Yeah. You know, we like to talk about Jewish athletes a lot. Who, in your mind, is the greatest Jewish basketball player you've ever seen? Wow. I, I, I honestly, give me, give me a top, give me a top four or five. Cause I, let's go. I, yeah, let's yeah, go five. I, 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 I mean, I'll give you 18, but that we don't have time for that. So yeah, give, me, give me, give me the the, uh, the top ones because I don't remember who's Jewish or not Jewish. Sometimes <laughs> I'm not Adam Sandler. None of us, <laughs> none of us are old enough to have seen Dolph Shays uh, play ball. He, he was it, very good, right? Right. He, right. he was when he was put on the the NBA's like uh, 75 year 75 team. Yeah, on the 50 team as well. Yeah, people were very much like uh, ragging on that a little bit because like they were pulling up clips of him shooting like. You know, two-handed jump shots from 12 feet away. Or like his stats where he would go like five for 12 for a game. And it was like, that was the best player on the team. Like that was, you know, the best they could do back then. I mean, does Amari count? Amari caught yeah, Amari, Amari absolutely counts. Amari, Amari well, like, probably, probably going to be 
maybe we'll make the Hall of Fame. It seems like there's been a bit of a push the last couple of years. Maybe this coming year. Yeah, because the fans are retiring his jersey number this year. Yeah. Um, it would, no, wouldn't think, be a shocker. I, I, let me tell you this, guys, about Amari. So I, I mentored a young coach for you know not 15 years. He's now the top assistant coach in Alabama. He's been with the Pelicans four years prior to that. He coached Amari two different times in Jerusalem. And he, he said, number one, he takes his religion very seriously. Extremely. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what Ryan told me. And like one of the greatest guys he's ever worked with. And he's worked with all I've, – I've had 100 NBA players. Ryan probably had 75 of them plus his own with the Pelicans. He just thought Amari was the most, most incredible person. He would sit on, in com- on commercial flights in the middle seats and never complained about sharing hotel room, nothing. He never big-timed anyone. He was very serious about his religion and, and his worshiping. And um, he and Ryan said he's just one of the most incredible human beings. He was blown away from that's not how Amari was raised. He grew out of a pretty tough environment and mm. became a uh, he became a mensch. And uh, and so Jews should be proud of that. That's I mean that's what we're here to talk about on the show. That's what we love to hear. Um, you know we when we think about the greatest players, we go like generally post the Cleveland Rosenblums era. Like back, you know, the very, very beginning of basketball in North America is a little early. We don't know much. Um, my, you know, I'm my first, I guess, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I remember Jordan Farmer being the first Jewish basketball player. I like sure, knew good. that he's guy good. is Jewish and that guy is good. Um, yeah. I remember, you know, being a Raptors fan, he wasn't Jewish, but I feel like we adopted Anthony Parker for a little while. I just saw Anthony. Oh, I just saw him. I mean, yeah, he's, he's got a great job. He's a GM of the uh, of the Magic Down. He came. That's to watch, right. That's a big job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I told him. I said, I remember you when you played in Maccabi before he went to the NBA. Yeah, but he is not Jewish. No, but he no. he did wear eighteen when he came, when he played uh, came back to Toronto. Uh, I didn't realize which, that. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure. I think, which I think is a great move for uh, for anyone yeah. who's like played in Israel or like I don't yeah. know, just had some Jewish connection. Just like wear eighteen. Like genuinely, some sports writer will write a story about that. Just be yeah. like, uh, you know, so and so wears eighteen to honor his connection with wherever. And very cool. Uh, and and every, very cool. all every Jew in the city will become a fan. Right, right. No one else understands what we're talking about, guys. No one has any exactly. clue what it, why we know about eighteen. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, don't worry. There's no Gentiles listening to this podcast. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to explain ourselves. <laughs> um, so the last, I think, the last basketball specific episode we covered we had dan grunfeld on the show okay um yeah he wrote he that talk- book he exactly. said book yeah and he wrote that book he sent me one too yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and sort of we talked a lot about like a a trans cultural jewish identity around the world he's played in a lot of different places and yeah. spent a lot of time being jewish you know you mentioned you don't necessarily think american jews should go for israel but do you think as players you've you've coached or you've mentored or you've worked with, you know, they play in Europe, they play in Israel, they play in America, is being Jewish sort of forced to be part of their identity because of their circumstances? I mean, not necessarily. I I, I want to say this before I forget. Uh, I've coached a number of players who uh, are black and from mm-hmm. America, and they loved every single one of them, loved their time in Israel. Mm-hmm. I have a former player there now. He, he's a starting point guard for Habba Jerusalem, Speedy Smith from St. Pete, like very mm-hmm. close where I grew up. Uh, they love it. They absolutely love it uh, for a, a lot of the uh, reasons that are probably pretty obvious. English works really well there. 
it's very westernized, of course. The food's great. There's a lot of pretty women there, which young players like a lot. Um, the, the, the league is good and fast, mm-hmm. and um, they take it seriously. But no, I think, I think, I don't know. I, I don't, I really don't. The reason why I said to you, like, I didn't remember who's Jewish is it's really not a factor. It's when, sure. when we're, when we're evaluating these guys, it's just, it's not like I worked out, I worked out a player uh, for a long time, an Israeli player who doesn't even call himself Jewish. He is Jewish. He's Israeli, born and raised in Israel. Um, I don't remember if he was bar mitzvah or not, but he doesn't, he doesn't fast on young. I fast, my, my son fast. He doesn't fast. He, uh, I don't think he goes to temple and I holidays or anything else. And yet he's Israeli and he's not alone in that. And so I really, I see there's a, and I'm glad about this. I think that there's a separation. What I find interesting guys is you're not going to find a ton of great players. We don't have a lot of, we don't have a ton of anything as Jews. There's not a lot of us, but, <laughs> but we, we got a lot of good coaches, right? Yeah. We got a uh, lot of good coaches. Uh, we, we like to joke on this show. There tends to be a much higher Jew- rep- Jewish representation in the offices of professional sports teams yeah. than in the rosters of professional well, sports teams. But do, do you know the reason for that? I, I, I looked into this. Do you know why, for example, we have there's so many Jewish people historically in places like Hollywood and in executive offices and coaching suites? Do you know why? why I, my guess is they were banned from other jobs. Exactly. Yeah, like going back a hundred years, you, you, I mean, you got it. You got to go. You got to go make some money to pay for the food for your kids. Yeah, why? Like, it's a really entrepreneurial culture. Although that, I mean, we we bring that up. You know, doubling down on the previous comment. It. Do you think if you're running an Israeli basketball team, if you're the GM of Maccabi Tel Aviv, if you're the GM of Hapoel Jerusalem, yeah. does having Jewish players matter there? Oh yeah, I think so. I don't think it uh, exclusively. They yes. want to win. They want to win. They want to be proud of how the team is playing and all of that. Right. But um, I do think I do think that's a factor. Um, but yeah, the the Jews, uh, uh, Hollywood was the Wild West, just like yeah. sports. And so you know, this is a place where it didn't really matter uh, what temple or, or church you went to. You just had to be able to produce, right? You know, yeah. And you could make it. And so, uh, but I, I, you know, I was a five star basketball camper. The founders of Five Star Basketball Camp, the most famous camp in American history, were Jewish. Two Jewish men, Will Klein and Harold Garfinkel. I knew them very, very well. Will's still alive. I'm good friends with his son Lee, uh, who helped run the camp after you know th- those guys kind of retired. Um, but I was not alone. I, I remember wearing a Jewish star way, way back in my early 20s. I don't wear any necklaces anymore, but I did. And uh, Garfinkel saw it and really started treating me differently. And that kind of bothered me a little bit. I, I didn't want to be known for that. I wanted to be recognized for my talent, not for my religion. But it, it definitely helped that Darth recognized me and said a lot of good things about me over the years and so forth. Will didn't really care. He just wanted to make sure he kept bringing campers. He was a businessman. <laughs> but yeah, we we have a lot. And uh, I know this. There's no re- I mean, I've co- these Israeli players I've coached are fantastic. I've told so many of them. If they grew up in America... Uh, they were, some of them were McDonald's All-American talent. Only Cassidy is a McDonald's All-American. Mm-hmm. Without any doubt, Galmedical probably uh, would have been like the number one point guard in the country that pick and roll wise, maybe. Uh, and, a, and a big kid with huge hands and strong and brilliant. So uh, there's a lot of talented players there. We, it's just a small place. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but their talent on their upper end is it could play with any, any American group and they'd hold their own just fine. And probably increasingly, I mean, uh, you know, right there with soccer in terms of uh, in terms of uh, 
popularity in terms of popularity in Israel. Yeah, thanks for thanks for this. Uh, sure, D- David. Cool. I think we're we're gonna wrap it up uh, there. Before we, before we go, there's a question we usually like to ask people uh, before they sign off. When when you were a kid growing up, was there a, was there a Jewish athlete or maybe a Jewish coach uh, more appropriately that that you uh, looked up to or you remember having as as a favorite when you were a kid? If remember, I'm way older than you guys. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. We know so, we know our history pretty well. My mom, they said this guy is definitely not Jewish. Uh, my favorite athlete by far was Muhammad Ali, and I think that one reason why there's a few reasons. My my papa, my dad's dad was a dentist and a doctor in the World World War II, and then he became a dentist out of Miami, and uh, he loved basketball. He loved boxing also. I used, in fact, when he died in '83, I stopped watching. I've not watched a boxing match. Maybe once since I remember we cut one pay per view like ten years ago, but without my papa, it just doesn't mean anything to me. So he, we liked Ali in part because, if memory serves, it's back in my mind. Uh, the way he was persecuted was very much reminiscent of how how Jewish people were being treated, no matter what where they were, pretty much in the world. And so I think my papa used to talk to me about about we always have to have a soft spot for people going through what our people have always gone through. Well, well, that's a different answer than we usually get, but I think it's a great one uh, and a great place to, to finish off here. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, David. We really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Best of luck, guys. Well, thanks again to David for joining us. That was really great. Um, what a guy. Really interesting to hear his career and, and you know, the sort of work of a, of a basketball coach, you know, coaching these players and on, on a personal basis. Very interesting. You know, you really he really gets to work with people and, and change their career trajectory. Yeah. It sounds like you it's, know. it's fascinating. You don't think, you know, you think obviously there's a lot of coaching and, and development that goes on, but like he seems to be to operate in some sort of like a, an advisor guru role. You know, I think he mentioned he hates the word guru, but you know, he's sort of seen, he's like an elder statesman um, for not right. just Israeli basketball or not even elder, a statesman. For Israeli basketball, as well as um, sure. um, Jewish basketball and basketball all over, you know, in the NBA and beyond. You know, he's a very yeah. well-connected and, and well-respected guy, so he's got a lot of insight. Uh, just to wrap up a few things from before uh, that we were talking about, the uh, the first doctor to perform a Tommy John's, John surgery was Frank Frank Job, who is not, not Jewish, Jewish, but did say uh, that if he had invented the technique 10 years earlier, it might have been named Sandy Koufax surgery. Because Sandy Koufax retired basically with a with a torn UCL, yep. and uh, it was the same thing as Tommy John. And uh, if he had just figured it out earlier, then then it would be called Sandy so, Koufax surgery. So that's interesting. Connection number two: look. Frank Job, not Jewish, but was a Seventh Day Adventist who celebrate uh, <laughs> celebrate the Sabbath on a Saturday, like the Jews, ah, the Seventh Day. Sure. Right. Um, I also want to say uh, uh, a sad uh, condolences to Bob Barker. Uh, obviously not Jewish, longtime host of Price is Right, but of course uh, a huge cameo in one of the great Jewish sports movies. You know, Abby fought Gilmore, a, Jew- a uh, canonically Jewish family. athlete. Uh, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fought fought Happy Gilmore in Happy Gilmore. So, uh, and maybe maybe the greatest maybe the greatest cameo of all time. I, like I I think there's yeah, it's pretty perfect. Than that. I I saw a clip yeah. of Bob Barker in an interview showed a post death interview where you know and this is Jewish sports related because Happy Gilmore is canonically Jewish. Um, where he said of everything he's done in his career, you know, he saw the script, saw Adam Sandler, said he would do it. The movie came out and he said every single day for the rest of his life, somebody brought up Happy Gilmore. 
Wow. Um, that's great. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's almost 30 years now, um, of people yeah. saying the price is wrong to, right. to, uh, uh Bob well, Barker. No, yeah, I think long, you're and, wrong. Uh, <laughs> he had a long, he had a long and very successful life. Uh, sorry to see him go. I certainly watched a lot of prices, right? On days, days, days when I was sick as a kid. Um, home from school. absolutely. Uh, I'm watching the new Adam Sandler movie. Uh, currently I haven't finished yet. It is very, uh, clearly shot at nearby synagogue Bethsedek where, where I got married. Wow. Is, like if you've ever been there, you'd be like, well, that's where they shot it. <laughs> like it's, uh, I remember when they, when they like were shutting down streets nearby for production. So, uh, not so, not so much Toronto, I would say besides that, I don't you feel know, like a lot of Toronto, Toronto other than, that. other than your own wedding. I, I, no, no. I mean the movie, I mean, I'm sure there were parts that were shot. Okay. Toronto, here's, it's good. Check if it out. Any, the if any, movie. uh, synagogue rabbis are, are listening to this or synagogue executives, you know, when Jamie had his wedding at Beth Zedek, you have to use a Beth Zedek caterer. One of their approved kosher caterers. Is that also true yes. for a movie shooting on the premises? Interesting question. Uh, maybe best left to one of our culturally sister Jewish. I think they should wanna, discuss it. Yeah, culturally Jewish should discuss this. Uh, and, and also, like you know, you can't interview you can't interview Adam Sandler or whatever right now because of the the ongoing uh, writers, well, the writer and actor strike. But you can interview craft services. So this is like you know what you have to do. You have to go below the line now yeah. for movie promo. You got to like interview craft services. You got to talk to uh, uh, some people involved with the the cushering of the uh, of, of the movie set. Our producer just informed us that our former producer Alex Rose was actually in that movie. Um, was wow! It, have you seen him yet? Have you noticed him on screen? I haven't yet, but I will uh, keep a closer eye and, and see if I can find out somewhere. That's that's terrific. Um, one quick other update. You know, we follow the F one career of Jewish driver Lance Stroll. Uh, another Jewish <laughs> driver. Uh, Robert Schwartzman had sort of his yearly test audition with Ferraris, had that for a couple of years in a row. He had that last week going into sort of the Ferrari race, uh, the home race in Italy next week. I'm at Monza where they're the big uh, drivers are going to get a lot of time behind the wheel. They wanted to get clearly Robert in to get a little stick time for um, he was okay. able to. So uh, looked to be a good, good track for Robert. Um, you know, he grew up between St. Petersburg, Israel and Italy. Um, and you know is is i guess a, a very happily uh, uh speedy jewish guy you know has a has a great career ahead of him he's still still pretty young he's still only 23 so he's got lots of time ahead of him um in mm-hmm. you know as a as a rookie you know he's been testing in a lot of different areas to part in the free practice he's is the full-time reserve um driver so if anything happens to um, you know, he used to be a test driver, but this year he's been uh, promoted. So if anything happens to any of the two main drivers, Schwartzman will be the first one on the list of going the race. Um, and now he's okay. participated in some tests and he's drive, driven the new car. So, um, you know, we obviously don't want to see anything bad happen to the current Ferrari drivers, but I would love to right. see Robert Schwartzman uh, behind a, the wheel of a Ferrari. Um, it would be pretty exciting and would almost certainly have Enzo himself rolling around in his grave. <laughs> Old man Ferrari. Uh, old man. Old man time. Ferrari is gonna gonna roll around in his grave. The current head um, is a sort of a modern French guy. You know, he's not a not as far as I can tell a uh, Nazi. But I don't think uh, Ferrari. I don't think Ferrari was a. I don't was, think he was a not Nazi. Well, um, Italian fascist at least. Anyways, yeah. I guess you yeah, know I, we'll have to find out in the movie being made about him by Jewish director Michael Mann. That is that's premiering. true. 
I believe I, I can't remember if it's coming to TIFF or not, but it should be coming out at some point this fall. And you know, um, what? I take it back. So, so Enzo was alive when uh, Jewish driver Jody Schechter won the world okay. championship with Ferrari. Um, that said, um, you know, Enzo Ferrari spent his entire life never riding a plane and never riding an elevator. Um, so I think he lived a fairly cloistered life. Interesting. Um, and perhaps Mr. Schechter might have been one of the only Jews he had known. All right. Um, just one last thing before we go. I, I looked it up and I can't see anywhere that specifically sells bagels at the U.S. Open, but there is a Glock kosher sit stand uh, near Court 12 that apparently sells pastrami and Ooh. tuna wraps and knishes. So if you're heading to the U.S. Open in the next few weeks, uh, check it out near Court 12. Um, until then, uh, and until we see you at our live event with Michael Landsberg, uh, we are the Menschwarwers. We are produced as always by Michael Freeman. You can find us on the Canadian News' website, uh, the CJN.ca, and uh, find us on Twitter at Menschwarmers. Please. Thanks for listening. Jewish comedy legend Modi and Hasidic rapper Nisim Black are coming to Toronto to perform live at UJA's campaign launch on September 7th. Visit jewishtoronto.com to get your tickets today. Don't miss Modi and Nisim Black on September 7th. Go to jewishtoronto.com for your ticket today.